Therefore, beloved, since you wait for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, be zealous to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Fire is a powerfully productive and life-giving natural element. Fire has played an indispensable role in the development of human civilization. In a Smithsonian article titled, Why Fire Makes Us Human, journalist Jerry Adler writes, wherever humans have gone in the world, they have carried with them two things, language and fire. The ability to control fire provided our early human ancestors with a source of warmth, protection, and a method for cooking. And these advancements allowed for human geographic dispersal, cultural innovations, and changes to diet and behavior. And there is much, much more we could say about the importance of fire to the development of civilization. Just to simply under, underscore the point, let's just say, we wouldn't have our cars, our clothes, our Christmas lights, our homes, our magic phones and media toys, our pizza and our beer, pretty much anything that you can think of that is distinct to human civilization, we would not have without fire. Fire, controlled fire, is a powerfully productive and life-giving natural element, but of course fire as we've seen this week, can also be unimaginably dangerous and destructive, especially fire that is not controlled. It's important to note that it's the very same natural element. The fire contained in the hearth and the fire that runs wild in the forest are the same in their nature, but the difference in their application is literally, quite literally, the difference between life and death. This week <clears throat> has been a very scary, anxious, sad, and in many places devastating time for Southern California. And we continue to pray fervently for God's protection for those who are in harm's way, for those in our families and our communities who have lost their homes or livelihoods, for those who have been or remain displaced, and for strength and courage for those many brave and selfless first responders continuing to tirelessly fight these wildfires across our region. The images from the fires this week, let alone those who I had eyewitness experience of them, are truly terrifying. So terrifying, in fact, that the destructive power of these fires, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's being described in explicitly biblical language. I have heard the words apocalyptic, which is the Greek word for revelation, and hell from very unlikely places, journalists, reporters, eyewitnesses, and victims alike. I think it's really interesting that even in our secular culture, whose media, especially on most days, is meticulously scrubbed of any religious reference, especially Christian ones, these wildfires elicit a kind of primal spiritual 
response with this language. It would seem that there's something deeply embedded in our cultural psyche that connects the concepts of fire and destruction to these ideas of the apocalypse and hell. In Christian eschatology, eschatology is a Greek word, but it simply means the end times or the end days, so it's the study of the end times. In Christian eschatology, the subjects of death, judgment, heaven, and hell are referred to as the four last things. Don't take my word for it, you can Google it. The four last things. And in fact, traditionally, the four sermons preached on these four Sundays of Advent were preached on the four last things. This practice has fallen by the wayside because let's face it, even for the Christian, these subjects can be confusing, unnerving, and even an increasingly repellent. We prefer not to think on them. But ignoring them will not make them go away. So with the fires raging still in parts around us, rather than ignore these uncomfortable teachings, I thought we might go ahead and lean into them this morning in an effort to understand more deeply their true meaning, because quite frankly, there is lots of great misunderstanding on these subjects, yes, even within the church. It is not surprising that the destructive power of fire draws our minds to things like the apocalypse, the second coming of our Lord, the final judgment, because there are many, many passages of Holy Scripture which paint the picture of the second coming with images of fire. And it just so happens that we have one in today's epistle from Second Peter. It's just one of many examples. St. Peter writes, The heavens and the earth that now exist have been stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. He goes on to say, The day of the Lord, meaning our Lord's coming again, will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire. And the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up, he writes. The heavens will be kindled and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But for every verse of Holy Scripture that describes the second coming, the final judgment, in terms of fire, there are at least as many verses that describe our Lord himself in terms of fire. God appears as fire to Abraham. He appears as fire to Moses in the burning bush. He leads the people of Israel through the wilderness as a pillar of fire by night. In fact, the early church fathers see the burning bush itself as a foreshadowing of our Lord's incarnation. The bush is filled with fire and yet it's not consumed in the same way that our Lord Jesus Christ is fully God in the fire of his divinity and yet his humanity is not consumed. Our Lord appears on the Mount of Transfiguration, ablaze in dazzling white raiment. When God sends his Holy Spirit into the world on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples as tongues of fire. And the writer to the Hebrews says plainly, our God is a consuming fire. 
Yes, the scriptures speak of the second coming and the final judgment in terms of fire, but they also speak of God himself in terms of fire. And what we so often fail to grasp is that these are all references to one and the same fire. Just as in the natural world, there are not two different types of fire, so it is in the spiritual life. And to be clear, God is not actual fire because fire is a part of his creation. He is the creator. But rather, God's essence, his love, his grace, the early church teaches his energies, they say in Greek, energia, the very substance of God himself, or probably in the most accessible language, his Holy Spirit exhibits the same properties as fire, which is why John the Baptist prophesies, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and not in our gospel from Mark, but in others, he adds, and with fire. Writing in the fourth century, St. Cyril of Alexandria says, the blessed Baptist added to the word spirit the active and meaningful phrase, and with fire. This is, not simply to this is not to imply that through Christ we shall be baptized with fire, but to indicate through the designation fire that the life-giving energy of the Spirit is given. That is the fire. And St. John Chrysostom adds, to specify the volatile and uncontrollable quality of divine grace, John adds, and with fire. Remember that our Lord himself says of his own mission, I came to cast fire upon the earth and would that it were already kindled, he says. Are we to presume by this statement that our Lord's purpose is destruction? Certainly not. His desire is to spread himself, his Holy Spirit, his divine and life-giving love that the world would be aflame with it. Writing in the 10th century, St. Simeon, the new theologian, a, a Byzantine Christian monk, says, by the way, the reason I'm quoting lots and lots of church fathers today is to underscore the point that uh, I'm not making this stuff up. This isn't my idea, uh, but it's powerful, the consistency of this through the, through the whole life of the church. In the 10th century, St. Simeon says, do not deceive yourself. God is fire. And when he came into the world and became man, he sent fire on the earth, as he himself says, I came to cast fire on the earth. This fire, he writes, turns about searching to find material. This is a disposition and an intention that is good. In other words, it doesn't seek to consume and destroy, but rather to fall into and to kindle. And for those in whom this fire will ignite, it becomes a great flame which reaches to heaven, he says. This flame at first purifies us from the pollution of passions, and then it becomes in us food and drink, an allusion to the Holy Eucharist, and light and joy, and renders us light ourselves, because we participate in his light. There is an idea out there 
that's quite popular, especially in the West, and perhaps even because of some Western theology, that God is mean, vengeful, vindictive, unforgiving, cruel. But God is not mean, vengeful, vindictive, unforgiving, or cruel. We are. Those are things about us that we project onto God. But God is good, and God is love, and he desires not the death of his creation, but rather that we would turn from our sin and be saved, which is why St. Peter in today's letter, in the very same breath as he's talking about this fire that consumes, he says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is forbearing toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And he concludes today's passage, count the forbearance of the Lord, count the patience of God as salvation. In truth, if the Lord were to return at this moment, how would we experience it? Would it be the joyous homecoming that he hopes for it to be? I don't know. But it's his patience in returning that reveals his desire that it would be a joyous homecoming for all of his creation. But if our hearts are filled with darkness and vengeance and hatred, all those things indeed will be dissolved as with fire at the coming of him who is the true light, who is love itself. Remember the words that St. Paul says. He quotes Proverbs. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. In other words, love your enemy. He says, by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon their head. These are not instructions by the apostle on how we can hurt or punish our enemy. It's merely a description of how true love, divine love, is experienced by a heart that is hard. Love does not seek to hurt or punish or destroy. How can it? That is the very opposite of the nature of love. Love only desires the good, seeks the good, offers itself for the sake of that which is good and wholesome and holy. Love does not destroy, but rather it is the heart that is filled with darkness that destroys itself when it is encountered by love. A heart filled with hatred experiences true love, as the scriptures say, as a heaping of burning coals on the head. So St. Isaac the Syrian, 7th century bishop and theologian, writes, Those who are suffering in hell are suffering in being scourged by love. Love's power acts in two ways, he says. It torments sinners at the same time delights those who have lived in accordance with it. And St. Simeon, the new theologian, adds, the last judgment of the Lord begins during the earthly life of each person. It is precisely earthly life that is the time when a person communes with the divine light through the fulfillment of God's commandments and through repentance. For such people, he says, the day of the Lord will never come. What? 
For such people, the day of the Lord will never come. Why? He writes, because it has already come. It has already come for them, and they already abide in the divine light. The day of the Lord is not for those who already radiate the divine light. It will suddenly be revealed to those who are in the darkness of passions. It will suddenly appear to these and seem to them to be fearful, like an unbearable and unquenchable fire. A 20th century Orthodox theologian, Vladimir Lasky, writes, The love of God, the love of God, will be an intolerable torment for those who have not acquired it within themselves. Now is the time on earth for us to be filled with the fire of God's love. So it is that God the Father has poured out the fire of his love into this dark and cold world through his only begotten Son, so that while we have the light, we might believe in the light that we may become children of light. But nevertheless, the choice to receive this fire of divine love remains completely and freely and dangerously ours. We cannot control God in the way that we have learned to control fire. But we can voluntarily be consumed by him, by his presence and his grace and his love, by his Holy Spirit in this life. So that, as our Eucharistic prayer says, when he does come again in power and great triumph to judge the world, we may, without shame or fear, rejoice to behold his appearing. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.